Psalm 23, of course, a very popular psalm. Hopefully you are very familiar with the psalm. And I will read it in uh, just a few moments here. I became a Christian, as some of you know, early in college at the University of Michigan. And one thing that immediately did not change in my life was my perfectionism and my drivenness. As a young Christian, my performance mentality shifted from academics and music, which is what I was kind of focusing on at that point before I was a Christian, and it shifted to performing well now as a Christian. There's a new list of things to do now that I was a Christian. Christian things, right? But what I soon discovered as my list got bigger and bigger was that I was not at peace. You see, I was always striving, always going after things, and it often wasn't from a place of rest in God. Have you been there before? Always striving. Perhaps you wake up each morning and have to battle this attitude of striving, striving to have a perfectly decorated home, striving to get your laundry done, Striving to be a great, wonderful parent with well-mannered children. Striving to be a wonderful father, wonderful husband. Striving to be a successful employee. Striving to be liked and respected. And doing everything you can to make sure other people's opinions of you are high. Striving to be a good Christian. Reading your Bible. Praying, loving people, serving in the church. And the list goes on and on and on, doesn't it? And then we wonder, am I doing enough? Is my family pleased with me? Is my boss happy with my work? And above it all, we wonder, is God pleased with my efforts and my striving? It's so exhausting, isn't it? constantly in self-evaluation mode, constantly checking our spiritual pulses. And you know, in some ways, God wants us to strive. He wants us to put forth effort. He wants us to grow, absolutely, but not from a place of unrest or self-sufficiency. God wants us to strive from a place of rest and peace in him. And so Psalm 23 is a good word for tired, burdened, exhausted Christians. It's a good word for those of us who are perfectionists and performers. Maybe you can relate. So the main theme of this psalm, I'm going to tell you right up front because it's really simple. Here it is. God is committed to his people. God is all in on his people. The focus in this psalm is not so much on our commitments to God. The focus in this psalm is on his commitment to us. And so I want to invite you this morning, I want to invite you this morning to take a step back from feeling your spiritual pulse. I want to invite you to take a step back from striving to do more, to be more, and to simply rest and bask in God's love for you through this psalm. 
Are you ready to do that? Let's pray and ask God for help. Father, as we look at these words in Psalm 23, would you speak to us, Lord? We are people who strive. We are people who think we are self-sufficient and we are smart enough and we have everything together and we're all set, but we are not. We need you. And we need to know that you are committed to us and that your faithfulness, that your goodness, that your love to us is secure. So, Father, would you convey that to us this morning? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm going to read Psalm 23, and as I do that, I want you to look at it with new eyes if possible. Okay? I know it's very familiar to probably all, most of you in this room, but uh, look for any surprises in this psalm. Does anything surprise you, shock you, as I read Psalm 23? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. This is God's word. So Psalm 23 is the kind of psalm that takes us on a journey. It starts, as you can see here, in green pastures and still waters. Then it takes us into dangerous valleys and then into uh, this wilderness where there's a table. And then finally, to the house of God. And that's the journey that we too are going to walk together this morning. So what we see here in this passage is two pictures of God's commitment to us. Two pictures of God's commitment to us. The first picture is found in the first four verses. God shepherds his people. God shepherds his people. So let's talk about shepherding in the ancient Near Eastern context. Well, it wasn't a glamorous job. It was a messy job. Uh, Typically, lower classes of people did the job. Shepherds um, lived with their flock. They, They became everything to the sheep. Guide, physician, protector, disciplinarian. In other words, they provided comprehensive care, total care to their sheep. Sheep were kind of like uh, family to the shepherd. They were so close because they spent essentially 24 hours a day, seven days a week together. So it's astonishing to think that the God of the universe can be known as our shepherd. He is that intimate, that personal with us. He's that intimately acquainted with our ways. He, he gets into our messes, and he cares and he loves us there. Now, if God is the shepherd, then we are obviously the sheep. And sheep are probably the dumbest animals on the planet, right? 
Sheep are dumb and dependent creatures, and apparently so are we too, when you line us up next to the divine shepherd. We are dumb and dependent. Now that feels, I think, both bad and good. It feels bad because, uh, let's be honest, we would rather view ourselves as smart and self-sufficient. But, you know, it feels good because it's so freeing to admit to ourselves that we're dumb and that we need somebody else. I think it relaxes us when we lower our expectations about ourselves. And most importantly, admitting that we are dumb and dependent, it gets us under the care and the protection and the love of the divine shepherd. So what we see in these first few verses and the first four verses are a couple ways God shepherds us. Here's the first way. God shepherds us through providing for us. Look at verse 2 with me. The good shepherd makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me besides quiet waters. He restores my soul. So we see here that shepherds provide for the needs of their sheep. They They know what their sheep need. They know their sheep are, you know, weak and skittish and fragile, and they have a tendency to bolt when they're scared. And so shepherds bring them to green pastures and still waters. That's what good shepherds do. They are gentle and they are tender and they are caring. And that's exactly how God is towards us. He is gentle. He is tender. He is eager to bring you to exactly what you need. Even though we are fragile and nervous and skittish and don't always know what we need, guess what? The shepherd, he is constantly scanning. He's constantly looking around to find green pastures and still waters for you. I don't think it gets any any better than this. We don't always know where the food is. We don't always know where the refreshment is. We don't always know where the restoration is, but God does. And he loves us in this way. Now, I don't know about you, but for me, Sunday mornings here at South Shore Baptist Church are beautiful green pastures. As I come together with you, as I um, fellowship with you, and as I worship together with you, these are green pastures for me. In the last four years, um, as I've spent time with my growth group, those are some green pastures. As I uh, share a meal with my family and friends and as we grab hands around the dinner table, as we uh, have conversations late into the evening about God's grace in our lives, those are some wonderful green pastures for me and my family. Each day I open up this book and I anticipate that God wants to speak to me through this book. He wants to feed me through this book. He wants to bring me to green pastures In this book, I feel shepherded by him. You know, when I sit down with one of you in my office and I I hear you talk about God in your life, those are some of my green pastures. Now, what about you? What are your green pastures and still waters? How does God shepherd you? God provides something else, too, in verse 3. Look at the first phrase in verse 3. He restores my soul. Now, a better translation there is he restores my life, which makes better sense of the agrarian context. Now, what does that mean, he restores my life? Well, once again, I want to remind you that sheep are incredibly dumb. 
And sheep have the tendency to scatter, to stray from the the shepherd and the flock. And sometimes when they get away from the shepherd, when they get away from the flock, they'll get bumped over, they'll fall on their backs. And because of the center of gravity that sheep have, they cannot get back up again. In fact, if they are left out on their backs for days upon days, they will die of starvation. Uh, It's a little funny, but it's a little sad too, I guess, right? But good shepherds, they go after straying sheep. That's what they do. And when they find these sheep on their back, they restore their life. And that's our God. That's how our God views us and sees us. That's how he helps us. He finds us when we've strayed. He finds us when we're flipped over, when we've gotten ourselves into trouble, when we're struggling and desperate, completely helpless and incapable of recovery. He finds us in those spots, and he restores our life. Now, we've all been there. Can you think of a time when you're on your back and your legs are flailing about? You're wanting rescue? Maybe you're on your back because of your own poor choices. You've fallen into sin. You've made a mess of things. Or maybe it's situations that are completely out of your control. Life happens, and there you are on your back again needing rescue. Well, listen, if you're one of God's sheep, This morning, you can count on God to flip you back over. You can count on him to restore you because he loves you and he's committed to you. So God shepherds his people, first of all, by providing for them. We also see that God shepherds his people by leading them. Look again at verse 2. It says, he leads me beside quiet waters, restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. So God leads us down these righteous paths. Now, righteous paths don't only mean moral paths. They also mean wise paths. And that means we can entrust the direction of our lives to this divine shepherd. He knows best. He's ahead of us. He sees what's coming. We're nervous We can't see what's coming, but he knows best, and so we can entrust ourselves, our lives, to the good shepherd. When we think of ourselves as smart and self-sufficient, well, we don't like to submit ourselves to anybody. But dumb sheep, dependent sheep, they believe that God knows best. They believe that God cares most. So, brothers and sisters, uh, is this your attitude? When you come to forks in your pathway, forks in the road in your life, is this your attitude? Do you turn to your God, to your good shepherd, and you say, God, you care for me. You see what's ahead of me. You lead me to the good stuff. You know what's best. I'm a little nervous. I can't see what's coming. I'm not going to grab hold of these reins. You lead me and I will follow. Now, that's not an easy thing to do, but if we believe the first few verses in this chapter, that he is tender and gentle and caring, then I think it becomes easy for us to believe and trust God. Notice the divine shepherd doesn't always lead us through green pastures, right? We see that in verse four. He also leads us into dark valleys. Look at verse four. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. There it is. 
In ancient times, deep valleys were places where many wild beasts and even human enemies lurked, and so it was probably the most awful place for a shepherd to take sheep. They were incredibly dangerous places for sheep. Sheep could get lost in these valleys. They could get hunted down and and eaten up by uh, animals. So it was a terrible place for dumb sheep. But apparently, the implication here is that God, the shepherd, leads us down righteous paths that include deep, dark valleys. Man, is that hard to believe. If it's hard, if it's painful, if it's uncomfortable, if it's inconvenient, then surely it can't come from God, right? That's, that's what we tell ourselves. But what if, what if God has some things to teach you, some, some deep and profound things that he can only teach you in the deep, dark valleys of your life? He can't teach you those things when you're on the green pasture. You know, maybe some of you this morning are in that deep, dark valley. You may have heard the sermon from Psalm 42 and 43 last week, and it hits you right between the eyes because you struggle with depression and discouragement. And maybe that's your deep, dark valley, and you have trouble getting out of it. Maybe you wake up every morning and you're not battling an attitude to strive. You're actually battling anxiety. You're, you're just trying to get out of bed every morning. And that's your deep, dark valley. Maybe you or a loved one has cancer or another illness or chronic pain. Maybe you're battling an addiction. Maybe your marriage is on the rocks Maybe your children have abandoned the Christian faith. Maybe you're just alone. There's all sorts of valleys that God leads leads us down. But brothers and sisters, listen. If you are in that place this morning, God has a word for you from verse 4. He has something to tell you this morning. And here it is. You ready? I am with you. I am with you. This is what bolsters David's confidence as he walks through the deep, dark valley. God is still our shepherd. He may not take us out of the valley. He may not take away the trial. He may not take away the pain, the depression, the loss, but he is with us. He is with us. He will never abandon us. Isn't that good news? Isn't that wonderful news for dumb and dependent sheep? You know, there are some things in life, some very painful experiences where no one, not even one of God's best servants, his, his choicest servants, can walk with you. There are some experiences where only God can walk with you through that pain because he is your God. He is uniquely your shepherd. And so maybe you've lost a loved one recently And yeah, you've got friends around you, you've got family around you, and they're helping you, they're encouraging you, they're sharing stories with you. Maybe you're battling depression and and you share about it with a counselor or with uh, your pastor or with a friend, and they're, they're giving you hope, they're giving you counsel, they're comforting you. But then you get in your car and you drive home and you are left alone with your thoughts. Who's going to be there then? 
God. He is going to be there with you then. He is with you. He will never leave you. Let me tell you something. As someone who counsels people, uh, it's part of my job, how thankful I am for this truth that God shepherds his people through deep, dark valleys because I can't go there sometimes. I can't go where only he can go. I can't counsel and love and help and shepherd in only the way that God can. And so if you are there, if you are in this valley, would you go to your shepherd? Would you go to him? Would you cling to him? Because he is there and he wants to love you. Look at the end of verse 4. It's a little strange. But here's more comfort. Here's more, more of God's love to us in the valley. It says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The rods and staffs were used to beat back enemies and wolves, but also to guide and even discipline the sheep. Because when you're in a dark valley, sheep have the tendency to bolt, to run away from the shepherd. And that's what we do too, right? We, when we're scared, when we're hurting or broken or depressed, we are prone to wander away from the shepherd and actually wander towards sin and evil and danger. But the best place to be is with the shepherd, right? Under his care. There's a family in this church, I'm not going to embarrass them, um, but they have a few small boys, some rascally boys, and uh, they have these spanking spoons. And on these spanking spoons, it says, it's, I think, painted on there, I love you. Pretty cool, huh? Now, I don't know about you guys, but I, I'm imagining these little boys getting spanked and... Uh, I don't think they're really reading those words and feeling much love. But, but here's the thing, David, David in this psalm, he looks at God's spanking spoon and he feels loved, doesn't he? He takes comfort from God's discipline in this chapter. You know, one of the things I love about the Bible, this book, is that it doesn't deceive us. It is so realistic. It's truthful about the pain and suffering in our lives. There's no sugarcoating when it comes to the Christian faith. That's what we see in this psalm. So there is a joy in the Christian faith. We see that here. It's profound. It's powerful. It transforms our lives, absolutely. But there's also something else in this psalm. There is a nitty-gritty realism. There's a sense in which, you know what, life is not going to be always awesome, even or especially for the Christian. Now, if you're not a sheep this morning, if you're not one of God's sheep, then you need to know that the world doesn't offer lasting joy. The world doesn't offer a realistic assessment of your pain. The world offers simple pleasures that don't last. The world offers frothy escapes from pain. It's not helpful. I think it's only the Christian gospel that can give you joy that lasts. I think it's only the Christian gospel that can explain to you the pain that you are experiencing in your life. And it's the Christian gospel that can give you this wonderful shepherd who comforts us. Listen, if you're not 
one of God's sheep this morning. And I, I hesitate to say what I'm going to say, but I think it's important. If you're not one of God's sheep this morning, then you don't get the divine shepherd during your darkest days. You don't get him. He will not be there for you as he is for one of his sheep. And I don't say that to rub your face in the dirt. I say that because I don't want you to experience that kind of loneliness when you're in your darkest days. I want you to experience the shepherd's gentle touch, his care, his grace, his tenderness, and his presence. And listen, if you turn to him this morning, if you give up the, uh, the false reality that is your self-sufficiency, and if you posture yourself under this, this good divine shepherd, if you posture yourself under him as dumb and dependent, he will love you and he will convey so much, so much warmth and grace to you. So, the first picture in this psalm, verses one through four, God shepherds his people, he provides for them and he leads them. And now for the last picture, the second picture, he hosts his people, verse five and six. Sometimes we miss this picture in this psalm because we're so overwhelmed by uh, the shepherd motif. But we see here actually the, uh, the picture changes and it's a very rich thing. So let me read verse five to you. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. So the scene has changed, right? We've, we're moving from deep, dark valleys to perhaps a, a large expanse, uh, maybe a great wilderness. And in this wilderness, there is a lone table, a, a lone tent. And there's enemies around, there's evil around, but there's this one tent, it's God's tent, and there's security and help in this tent. And God is welcoming us to this table. Hospitality is a powerful thing, isn't it? It's a powerful thing. When I was uh, 14 years old, I uh, traveled with an orchestra to Europe. And um, I played violin. Some of you know that. And uh, when I was in Europe, we traveled to, our first stop, in fact, was uh, San Pellegrino, Italy. It's a northern mountain city in Italy. And we stayed with host families. So I was this little kid, and well, I felt like a little kid at least, and I was really nervous. This was the first stop. I didn't know this family. They happened to not know English. I didn't know Italian. So I walk into their home, and I'm all nervous. And so we were just kind of communicating through body language and pointing and so on. And, and when I walked in, this nervous, scared kid, mom and the dad, they had these huge grins on their faces. And uh, the mom then kind of ushers me into my bedroom, and I walk into this huge room, I mean, massive room. And then they, she shows me the bathroom, and I see two sinks and a hot tub and a shower, and I realize that they've totally given me their master suite. This 14-year-old kid. So I take a shower, and I get ready for dinner. I come downstairs, and, and I felt like I was in a movie. I walked into this room. And they're standing behind their chairs and they, they point to, you know, to my seat and they've laid out their finest china and they sit me down and they serve me a four-course northern Italian meal. And let me tell you, it was super yummy. It was so good. 
and all of my nerves went away. Because hospitality is a powerful thing. Hospitality invites outsiders into the rest and the security and the relationship of a good home. And notice in verse 5 that God hosts his people. God welcomes his people. He prepares a table. He lays out this giant feast for his guests. And the cups are overflowing. He pours oil on their heads. Oil was used often to moisturize skin in hot climates. But in the Old Testament, it was also a sign of honor. So God is pulling out all the stops for his people. Right? When he has his people over, he doesn't skimp. He gets out the finest china. He spoils them with a lavish four-course feast. Enemies are still lurking around. We see that in this verse. But he provides protection. The ancient Bedouin law of hospitality states that once a traveler is received into a tent, especially once the, the food has been spread out before that traveler, the traveler is guaranteed immunity from his enemies. That's what's going on here. And so in God's tents, as you are welcomed into these tents, you will find infinite resources that God lavishes on you. You will find limitless protection. You will find extravagance and opulence. This is the kind of love that God has for his people. Maybe you haven't really experienced good hospitality Maybe you haven't really been welcomed in your life. Maybe you've always felt like a stranger, like an outsider. You've longed for a place to belong. You know, maybe you even feel like a stranger here at South Shore Baptist Church. And if that's the case, then um, I'm sorry. I'm sorry you feel that way. I I wish it wasn't the case, and I, I hope that we can welcome you better. But I can tell you that people are going to fail you, and churches aren't perfect. But I can also tell you that God welcomes strangers, and that's no small thing. God welcomes outsiders. He smiles on them. He beckons them to come and dine with him. Listen, he doesn't skimp when you're there in the tent. He doesn't skimp because you're a fool or because you've made horrible decisions all your life. He doesn't skimp on you because you don't have a college education or you don't have certain clothes or you don't carry yourself in a certain way. He welcomes you because he loves you. He pulls out all of the stops if you are one of his sheep. You know, if that wasn't enough, this this verse, this verse 5, you know, this psalm is like the waves of God's love and goodness keep crashing down upon us. And there's one more wave that we experience in this Psalm, it's verse 6. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So God not only hosts us today in his tent, as enemies are around, as there's dangerous things happening, but God will host us forever in his house. And so here in this psalm, we're moving from a temporary tent and table to a forever house where God will forever host us. And of course, there's extravagance here too, isn't there? There's goodness and love. 
goodness and love, and it will follow us all of our days. Now, the word follow there literally means to pursue, and it's used of predators that pursue and hunt their prey. And so no longer do we see enemies who pursue us like we kind of did in verse 4 and 5. Here we see something else is pursuing God's people. Goodness and love will pursue God's people. Uh, This led Charles Spurgeon, the great 19th century preacher, to call goodness and love the hounds of heaven. The hounds of heaven constantly chasing after God's people. If you've been over to my house, then you've met a hound, a 90-pound Alaskan Malmude. And uh, if you walk in the door, I mean, she's a beautiful dog, but she's a little scary, and she will bound towards you, and she'll, she'll want to tackle you, and, and you're going to feel like she's going to bite you, but she's not, and she's going to lick you to death. She's so friendly. And that's how, that's how uh, our, our Alaskan Malmute is. She won't let up on her affection with you. And that's how these hounds of heaven are as well. Think about this with me. There will never be a time when these hounds of heaven don't come after you with their affection. If you're in the green pastures and still waters, the hounds are going to be there. If you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death, the hounds of heaven are going to hunt you down. They will be there in the wilderness tent and at the table. And they will chase you right into God's house where you will experience goodness and mercy forever and ever. So God is our good shepherd. He's also our gracious host. And so I hope this morning you have basked in God's love and his goodness and his grace to you. I hope you realize that we don't need to strive from a place of performance or perfectionism or pride or drivenness. We don't need to constantly be taking our spiritual pulses. We don't need to worry about the dangers in the deep, dark valley. And we never need to be anxious that we're going to be left alone. We can be at peace because God is our shepherd and host. We need to take one more step in order for us to fully understand and apply this passage. We need to see how Jesus is our good shepherd and gracious host. You remember John chapter 10, the words... Uh, of Jesus when he said, I am the good shepherd. And the, sh- the shepherd, the good shepherd, lays down his life for the sheep. That's exactly what he did, right? He laid down his life for the sheep. He went to the cross. He died for the sins of his sheep. And he became our great shepherd, our good shepherd, who provides for us, who restores us, who leads us, who loves us and protects us. Jesus also is our gracious host. Can you think of a time when Jesus played host and laid out a feast for his disciples? The Last Supper. He prepared a table for his disciples. He exercised hospitality on the same night that he would be betrayed. And how did Jesus play host? Well, he said to his disciples, let me wash your feet. Let me get down on my knees and serve you. Let me clean you and welcome you and let me honor you. At the Last Supper, he provided a meal, but he was not only the host of the meal, he was the meal itself. He was the body that was broken for his people. He was the blood that was shed 
for his sheep. And he not only prepared a meal in the midst of his enemies, but he prepared a meal for his enemies. Because while we were yet sinners and strangers, and yes, even enemies, Christ came to die for us. And Jesus continues to host us today. He continues to welcome us into God's tent as our mediator. He continues to make strangers into family. He continues to pour out lavish blessings on us at a cost only to himself. And listen, as this age comes to a close and the next age comes into existence, there will, there will be one final never-ending party. The marriage supper of the Lamb And God will host his people there forever and ever. And there will be no more deep, dark valleys. There will be no more depression, no more cancer, no more fear, no more loss. There will only be green pastures and still waters. And our shepherd, our host, he will be there with us. We will feast in God's house forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we are so comforted this morning. We are so loved this morning because you are our good shepherd and our gracious, welcoming host. Thank you, Father. Thank you for your love. Thank you for showering us with blessing upon blessing. Thank you that your grace to us is lavish and extravagant. Lord, we don't have to fear that you're withholding from us. Thank you for being with us, especially in our dark days, when we're hurting, when we're lost, when we're broken, when we're in the midst of sin. Thank you that you come, you find us, you rescue us, you bandage up our wounds, you reset our bones, and you pull us close to yourself. Father, I pray that this week we would feel your tender, tender care and that we would be at peace. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.